0: You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw to a looking. Flips it down. To wide open. <laughs> Touchdown Tyreek Hill. Unbelievable. Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right
1: away. All the of that man. I really
0: hope you
2: soon jump on his bandwagon.
0: Waddle. Waddle. To a shotgun. Back to throw. Looking steps up. Fires. Touchdown. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown six pass touchdown. of okay. the day.
1: Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now.
2: Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, golf fans? And welcome to the drive time podcast part of the Miami Dolphins podcast network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going everybody? I am your host Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we're going back over to the offensive side of the football. I want to review three items that have me believing that year 2 in the offense could be even better. And the number six ranked offense we saw in year number one, we'll discuss that hypothesis and conclusion, plus some more mailbag questions. And we begin to get ready for Indianapolis by taking a look at our first offensive positions and what we expect from them at the combine tight ends and running backs. As We continue the offensive theme on this pod from the PFF top 100 big board and see who to keep an eye on during those workouts in Indianapolis from the Baptist health studios inside the Baptist health training complex. This is the drive time. That's another
0: Miami Dolphins.
2: So we've been on a defensive kick for a few episodes, really about a week and a half now in a row. So let's go ahead and go back to the other side of the football and something I had mentioned at the end of the season, wanting to do a deep dive at the end of the year And we talked to coach Fangio on the podcast last Friday. And I asked him, what about this offense gives opposing defensive coordinators fits. And he mentioned the wide receivers and the year that Tua had under center and obviously starts there with the trigger man and his top weapons. Then we also had Jerome Baker on a podcast uh, this past week, the varsity house podcast. And he was asked about when he really realized just how fast Tyreek Hill is. And he detailed a play in training camp where Tyreek ran a short end breaker, and Jerome knew he had to get to his landmark and make the tackle. Elementary stuff, right? Or tag off, not actually make a tackle. But he said that because Tyreek can get to full speed by like his third step or sooner, that he had to completely change his angle and that landmark that had become so second nature on that particular route from that particular zone drop to then having to run and chase to meet him further downfield to improve his angle and give himself a chance to make the tackle, or in this case, a tag-off. He said that Tyreek and Waddle both offer that, and when you have to protect the deep part of the field, it makes you vulnerable somewhere else. If you're going to add extra pieces one spot, you're going to be vulnerable somewhere else, and every time you drop a defense, you have vulnerabilities, and that's why the best offensive minds can find ways to attack those vulnerabilities regardless of the personnel they have. But when you have to protect an area of the field so significantly and the most dangerous area of the field, it's going to create chances elsewhere. I think we saw that throughout the course of the season, but I think there's even more meat on the bone, to use a, a phrase we like here on the podcast, to expand that in year number two. So Tyreek and Waddle together and in their second year that's where I really start to get excited about what this offense can be. I mean, we saw glimpses this year. We saw a record-setting pace this year. Four straight games with 30 points. Last time that happened for this franchise, it's been a long, long time. I want to circle back to all that first, but, but first, uh, he also, Jerome Baker, discussed Tua, and he said that he saw all offseason was just Tua putting his head down and putting in the work. Regardless of outside noise, anything, just put the work in. And Jerome said he really appreciated the way that Tua comes into the locker room with his head high because after everything the media says or all the narratives, Tua just goes about his business and does his thing. And he said there was a tangible impact behind that. He said that Tua took accountability when he made a mistake. He would own the errors from the quarterback's perspective and how far that reached the rest of the locker room in terms of a leader who is accountable Jerome touched on all of that and how valuable that is. That's why this podcast, this sort of monologue I'm putting together is becoming more about the right kind of people and how continuity with those people can push a team forward better than really anything else. And I've talked about it many, many times here on the show that I believe the best route to improvement in a given offseason is improvement from your own incumbents. We saw Jalen Waddell take a big step last year. We saw Christian Wilkins get even better than he was in year three. We saw Tua Tungavailoa take a big jump. That type of stuff. And yeah, don't get me wrong. Tyreek Hill, Teron Armstead, Connor Williams, massive, massive impacts. But Rob Hunt's development at right guard, that was a big deal as well because, when you hear this type of speak, going back to the podcast from someone like Jerome, who's been here for five years and everybody respects what Jerome's about. So to hear him talk about the quarterback, the way that he detailed the level of respect that he and the rest of the organization has for number one, I just think that bodes well for the example that you have to follow. If you're going to be a member of the Miami dolphins, the right type of guys. So to bring it back to the receivers. And in fact, you know what? I have mentioned this quote so many times, so why don't I go ahead and run the audio for you here? I want to go back to Mike McDaniel, and I asked him this question on November 28th. What was the most notable sign of growth that Jalen Waddle showed you this year? And it was following, I think, the Texans game? Yeah, the Texans game. And Tua had mentioned Waddle's attention to detail in his post-game press conference. And so the following Monday on the 28th, I asked McDaniel about the most tangible or most notable sign of growth he saw this year from Jalen Waddell. Let's go ahead and play that sound real quick.
1: Right. After the break, you know, over the break, I, I really, I was interested. He's, an, um, I love the way he worked uh, in OTAs. Um, and, you know, I was very, very high on him coming out of college. And, had, and it was obvious in OTAs that I, I really, Liked the human being and um, definitely believed in him. Really coming back from um, summer break, and you, know, you, you don't have any time to learn, or and you don't assume anything. I, I didn't know how he's going to come back um, because that can be a, a, a very um, huge, huge time for. A receiver, a young receiver, especially in a new offense, is what do you do over um, between OTAs and and training camp to prepare yourself for an NFL season? And I was as encouraged by his, um, I was as encouraged by him as any other player um, in terms of how he came back ready to play. So it was obvious early, and he's as we've gone on very talented players aren't always that that hungry to be coached um you get you have a lot of success as a very talented player uh and a lot of times you know of experienced players feeling as though coaching's an insult he is um quite the opposite you know he he keeps learning each and every week, and he is not, um, it's always, a guy has a chance to be really, really good and chase greatness in this league if you have a ton of talent, but you're constantly hoping that yesterday's version was um, the worst version of yourself that you'll see moving forward, that you're constantly getting better. And that's something that he uh, has proven to his teammates that he he he's a really good player. We have to rely on him to uh, make plays for us to play the style of football we want to play, and his teammates rely on him and trust him. And I, I I know that each and every week he's going to do put his best foot forward um, to to be the best version of himself. Yesterday offered a great. Opportunity for him to improve. There was some stuff in the game that he'll tell you that he definitely could have done better, and some situations um, that he encountered that was the first time in the offense that he encountered uh, this season. So there's uh, timing nuances and and route running nuances that he's going to continue to progress, and that's why we got the Dolphins got a, a good one in him.
2: And the reason I wanted to play that sound drop, and the reason I'm talking about all this the way I am, is really multifaceted. In fact, it's three-prong for the sake of specificity. Specificity? Number one is the proof in the pudding in terms of previous Shanahan-McDaniel stops and the second-year jumps they've experienced in their offensive production. And this is where I really wanted to start and kind of the, the uh, I suppose, the driving force behind this little research project I put together to show you the tangible increases in production for teams playing in the second year of this particular offensive system. And granted, they always are different with their own fingerprints on them. But generally speaking, the same offensive principles exist across the board with these same coaches, right? Shanahan, McDaniel, O'Connell and McVay are kind of in that same vein. Uh, You get it. LaFleur, all those guys. But as I researched it more, I realized my point was actually more about two other things as well, and they are this. Number two, the conventional wisdom shared by so many of the greats that it typically does take some time to really get your offense to become second nature. We're talking about being able to understand the verbiage, the checks, concepts, without having to give it a second thought. Tua makes a change. I know right away, boom, that means I have to take this whip route and turn it into a conversion to a corner route to make sure I hold that cloud corner on the flat route we want to throw underneath to Jalen Waddle. That's a, just an example, right? It, like, Think of it this way. You get a new job or you move to a new house. All of a sudden, you have new paths to take on your commute. You have a new grocery store you have to go to. You have to find the route to your favorite new restaurant you're going to go pick up from. You have to find the the route that's best to go pick up your kids from school. It can be overwhelming, right? Or learning a new job, learning the new processes, learning a new uh, operating system within your company. You know, especially for me, the moving aspect—moving from rural central Washington to busy Broward County—all those U-turns and freeway entrance and exits—the commutes got confusing, and I had to look at my phone for GPS often. Now, being here for a little while, I barely ever use my GPS. I went to Tamrac to play golf last weekend at Colony West. Didn't need to use my GPS. I just looked up the address and said, "Oh, I just have to go down uh, seventy-five. I have to take the Sawgrass exit or uh, through." know, towards Parkland and just take that exit right there uh, off of, uh, is it Broward Boulevard? And the course is right there off the left. So like, same idea, like rather than thinking about where it is and having to process and then react, second year in the offense is like second year in a new house or a new job. I know how to get to Publix. I know the best route to take to work if the, you know, if there's an accident or things are backed up, it becomes second nature, not just in the original thought, but the way you adapt and adjust on the fly. And the third thing was, I think we have the right people here to make that jump very noticeable. What Coach said about Jalen Waddell, we've heard that before. I've been re-watching the games. I just re-watched the Steelers game. And you heard Chris Collinsworth on the NBC broadcast mention his pre-production meeting with Mike McDaniel and how Tyreek Hill taught them how to practice. He just meant, you know, how to compete on a rep-by-rep rep basis. Like, no, this is how you do it when you're a seven-time All-Pro or seven-time Pro Bowler. I mentioned Waddle. I mentioned the Baker podcast for this reason too. Seeing Tua go through his pregame visualization each week, five hours before kickoff, you see the way the guys talk about their quarterback. It's clear that they believe in what he's all about, and you earn that through your actions. Teron Armstead, we spoke about him earlier. Another guy like this, and you know, speaking of Teron, at his last presser, I asked him what it says about the locker room that 25% of the players earned a vote for our annual Good Guy Award, which is the player that uh, is the easiest to work with and exhibits the most professionalism during their media availabilities with the press. And so Tehran won that award, but 25% of the locker room received votes. That was the most ever. And I asked Tehran about that. What does it say about the guys you have here in that locker room? Yeah,
0: we're getting the right people in the building. We're getting the right people in the building. You know, people that respect the game. Respect how it's played, um, and all the nuances of it, in 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 on and off the field. It's important. It's extremely important to have that in the locker room. Guys that can articulate, communicate, uh, show that respect. You know, through the ups and downs, because we went through five game winning streak, five game losing streak. So to have so many guys that up for an, in a war like this speaks volumes to the team.
2: So why do I spend all that time? covering all of this, because I think the combination of the complexity of an offense that a significant portion of our returning personnel made to be the number six ranked offense in the NFL, now they get a full calendar year with their own tape to go off of. They're not watching someone else execute this offense. They're watching themselves do it. They don't have to say, oh, that's a movement unnatural to me. I made that move. I can correct that this way. I can drill that this way. I think that pays dividends more than just about anything you can do this offseason, unless you bring another Tyreek Hill in. I've been saying this for years. Your biggest improvements year over year typically come from improvements of the incumbents, and that's the case here. And if it's the case here, I think you have to feel very good about where the number six offense in 2022 can go to in number 2023. Let's go ahead and take our first break right there and come back. We'll revisit the two bullet points uh, that I mentioned already. I think we already kind of proved number three with the right kind of people here. We'll go back and revisit bullet points number one and two. That's next Drive Time podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by Auto Nation.
0: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here.
2: Doing something of a deep dive here on the podcast, taking a look at expectations for year number two and the possibilities of growth and improvement and the continuity that could contribute to that potential improvement. So we talked about the third bullet point, right? Getting the right kind of people in the building. Tyreek Hill giving you the perfect example for how to practice. Tua Tunga-Vailoa just putting in work after work after work all offseason before the games. Teron Armstead being an extension of the coaching staff on the field, an example of how to be a pro and go about your business, and on and on and on. The first bullet point, though, was the idea that this offense is relatively complex And the more time you spend in it, the more time you know to take the right before the busy intersection to get to Publix because it's a quicker access. Drive around the backside of the building. You don't have to deal with the shopping mall traffic ahead of the Publix. These are things that I do to get to my Publix faster. You see what I'm saying? I know this because I have familiarity with my surroundings and my situation. So I go back frequently To something I heard ESPN's Jeff Darlington say on a local radio show down here. I want to say it was Zach Krantz's Instagram show. uh, But he said, the Dolphins are knocking on the door. When it comes to Mike McDaniel, that was his first year. And a system like McDaniel's or Shanahan out in San Francisco, it requires some time both in instituting the system and another offseason to keep adding guys that fit that system. They've got a lot to build upon. I think what we saw this year was a blueprint, not a conclusive outcome of what this team can be, end quote. And that blueprint comment is the one that I really harken back to, Tom Harkin, the one that made me rubberneck a little bit. I've heard that same sentiment not just from people I know in the media sphere, but people that I classify to be expert analysts of the game, the difficulty of the system and of making it seem like it's second nature to you, to know to cut that public's cut short, that, that turn to the public's parking lot, take the first one, not the second one. And I think about you know scoring those 30 points in four straight games while you're still making all that happen. To me, that's a lot of reason for optimism. And I asked coach about this at the end of the year presser, and he described the offensive line play as having to retrain everything you had previously learned in your football life. And I think about how that could probably speak to some of the waves you saw in moments during the running game this year and the ups and downs and potentially putting that together more consistently. Man, we had some games where it looked like you were creating lanes like Ricky Williams had in 2002. Other games, it was just a struggle. You have to imagine another year, another off season to not just work on the fundamentals of that style, but to have a full year of tape on yourself to evaluate. I just have to imagine that plays dividends. And so I got to looking at year one to year two jumps for every stop that McDaniel was, you know, at in his career among the places he was at for two years. And it starts in Washington in 2011, 2020, uh, 2011, 2012, from 16th in offense to fifth. Pretty good. Uh, he was in Cleveland for 2014. They were only there for that one year, but man, that Browns team was the most fun Browns team to watch in like a decade at that point. They went seven to nine. It was their most wins in seven years to that point, and the most wins they would have for another four years. So literally their best record in 10 years was the one year that they had McDaniel and Shanahan there. And we've heard the accounts of Andrew Hawkins and Nate Burleson and the other receivers who played in that room. I think Taylor Gabriel was another. Uh, just l- They love what Mike McDaniel is all about. In Atlanta, 2015 to 2016, from seventh to second. I mean, you see what we're going for? That's, that's kind of your, I think, baseline you're looking at here, is the 2016 Falcons, which went to the Super Bowl and had that 28-3 to 3 lead. It, uh, from an offensive perspective... If you can see a similar jump there, and that was the same, they had Matt Ryan, an established good quarterback like we have here. They had a pretty good offensive line that they continued to put pieces around. They had a really solid running game. That's where I think Miami has some ground to make up in the tight end room as well. But they also had Julio Jones, like we've got Tyreek Hill. Uh, shoot, who was their second option that year in the receiving game? I, don't, I can't remember who it was, but it wasn't Jalen Waddle. I can tell you that much. Then they took the head job, Kyle Shanahan did, and, and Mike McDaniel, the running game coordinator job. For the Niners in 2017, 2018, they went from 12th to 16th. And that's the one regression. But, you know, context. Because 2018 was the year they traded for Jimmy Garoppolo. And what did they do in his second year of the system in 2019 when they found their quarterback? Just the number four offense in the NFL. Something I've taught myself in this little study is they always started off really well because look at the year before they arrived. The 2010 Washington team was 25th. So Washington went from 25th before their arrival to 16th in their first year, to 5th in their second year. The 2014 uh, Falcons were 12th, then to 7th, then to 2nd in the second year. And the 2016 Niners, 31st, up to 12th, to 16th. It's pretty good growth. It's not just Jeff Darlington who notes the importance of continuity in offense. It's former players and coaches who have done it at a high level as well. And that's bullet point number two. Quotes from people talking about year two in an offense. And I refer often to Peyton Manning in the Manning cast. And it was a Lions and I think Packers game two years ago. And he was talking about Jared Goff in the 2021 Lions offense and how for him, it was always sometime around year two where the offense felt second nature. Well, Jared Goff this year and the Lions start off one and six. And then what did they finish? Was it nine and eight? Eight and nine, maybe, was their final record. And they their offense was absolutely on fire in the second half of the season, as we saw in the game that Miami beat them. Their offense was going up and down the field. But I found this quote from Peyton Manning when he first joined the Broncos about learning a new offense. The question was specifically if he felt the same way he did in Indy in terms of his preparation heading into the season. Here's the quote, no way, no way it's possible when you have new coaches, new players, new offense. It's been energizing to be back on the field, but it's very challenging with all the changes. It's not comfortable all the time. What about Peyton Manning's greatest rival, Tom Brady? Here's what Brady said when he first got to the Bucks: I've got to learn new players. I've got to learn the scheme. So that's where all my time and energy is going to be focused. And also learning my teammates, learning guys like Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, OJ Howard, Cameron Brate, a lot of the skill players. Uh, Running back Ronald Jones, and obviously the offensive line, who's a very talented group. How about Raiders head coach Josh McDaniels, previously OC of the Patriots, one of the best offensive minds we've seen this century. Here's what he said a couple years ago when talking about his quarterbacks, particularly Cam Newton, in year two of the offense. It's a lot less new learning every day. More repetition of things he already understands. Things slow down. Things make more sense. There were things I was telling him to do last year that he didn't quite understand, but I was telling him, hey, do it this way. Try and do it that way. Make him the mic, whatever. He was just trying to do everything I said. And that thinking can cause you know, not the quickest reaction. Uh, McDaniels continued in that same story. Now he actually understands the why on most things. That is really the goal for the quarterbacks. When you're out there trying to read defense on a play-to-play basis, if you don't understand why we're doing something or why you're supposed to make the protection slide here or there, it's a tough position to play. So you can really find this from anyone if you look hard enough. I found some from Joe Burrow and Jalen Hurts recently. I went back and found some Chad Henney talking points about his second year in 2009. In fact, this from the Palm Beach Post story that was uh, that I found on Goog- the Google machine, his biggest growth has come with his complete understanding of the offense at game speed, said wide receiver Greg Camarillo. You can only get that through game reps. The point I'm making or trying to make is that the second year typically comes along with some natural progression just from the familiarity, especially when you're in the position Miami is with a quarterback, the top two receivers, most of the offensive line, all those key players are returning in the same system. And I think that has an abundance of value for the Miami Dolphins in 2023. Let's go ahead and take our last break and come back on the other side. We'll answer a couple of your mailbag questions. I I didn't get to all of them on Monday and I didn't get to all of them here either, but I want to answer some more. And also take our first look at the scouting combine in Indianapolis with the tight ends and running backs and who I expect to have big workouts. That's next, Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Segment number three here on a Wednesday. This time next week, I will be in Indianapolis with a couple of the guys from the video staff. uh, Myself, Mike, and JT. A couple of uh, guys I play golf with a lot. We are going up to Indy. We're going to get a ton of interviews with a ton of top-level talent from the biggest networks. And I can't wait to bring it to you guys. It's going to be a lot of fun content here on the podcast as we continue to head so fast towards... The offseason, the new league year, draft season. I can't believe the combine's here already. And as it stands right now, we know the draft order through the first three rounds, shy of some comp picks or coin flips that will break some ties that, honestly, I don't care about because it does not involve the Miami Dolphins. But the draft site Tankathon does have the order with all of the strength of schedule tiebreakers and things that differentiate how the rounds alternate draft order. The Dolphins have the 52nd pick in the second round and the 78th and 85th overall picks in the third round. And we'll know the slots of the other picks once comp picks are all divvied up and all that stuff. But for the sake of this exercise and the trip to Indianapolis... I wanted to look at the top 100 big board from Pro Football Focus and just talk about the different players that we'll see work out in Indy. And I thought, why not start at the running back position? So on PFF, they have number 18, Bijan Robinson. And it's hard to find a more complete player than this guy. He's going to demolish the combine. I expect us to get to the end of the... Uh, on field work from the running backs and you'll just see Robinson 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 for all the category leaders every metric he moves unlike anybody else in this class aside from the guy we're going to talk about here in a second Jameer Gibbs the lateral agility I think should produce great numbers and all the explosive metrics you go watch his tape at Texas he gets to gaps and holes that just doesn't really make a lot of sense Um, from a science and gravity standpoint (laughs) He's also strong as hell, so if he does bench, which less and less players are doing the bench press, I expect him to perform in that area too. And it doesn't really matter which tape you watch of this guy. He was so dominant in college that it's pretty easy to pick up his game and translate it to the next level. We saw Brees Hall have a big impact. I think this guy is exponentially more talented than the running back from Iowa State last year. Number 54 on this list. Zach Charbonnet from UCLA. He's had a long college career. He has a pretty heavy workload. And I'm not sure he's going to be the workout monster that you'll get from Robinson and Gibbs. But if there's a back in college with better vision and feel than Charbonnet, I haven't really seen that yet. He does build to speed in the open field, but his subtle jump cuts allow him to maintain momentum while attacking the line of scrimmage. I think he'll have a great uh, metrics in the broad and vertical jumps. And that can be a carryover of balance. And this dude's tape is just full of balance and slipping tackles. There's a clip against Stanford this year where he sticks his foot in the ground to cut back from a forced defender, forcing him back inside. And there's a big defensive lineman in the way that Christian Wilkins does this, pursuing from the backside. And when he cuts back, the lineman goes over the top of his back and Charbonnet stays on balance and keeps trucking. He is incredibly strong in the lower half, as most of these running backs tend to be. Number 57 is maybe my favorite player in the draft that I've watched so far, Jameer Gibbs from Alabama. The explosiveness and the big plays are there every single game. I think he's going to tear up Indy. It's going to be Gibbs and Robinson atop your workout boards, if you ask me. Uh, Both in the the metric testing and the on-field drills, I think you're going to get a lot of love for what he does in the route running aspect because you go back to the Tennessee tape, And you'll see tons of that. Just him leaving linebackers in coverage in the dust. He's a second in college football the last three years among draft eligible backs of the combine in terms of receiving first downs. He had 42. Deuce Vaughn had 48. I think he'll absolutely light up the three cone, the short shuttle, the broad, the vertical, everything that points to explosive, quick twitch, start, stop all of those buzzwords that we love. Jameer Gibbs has that in spades and the way he can kind of stretch a play out and it, it, matches so well with the stretch zone the inside zone concepts that we run here man he's he'd be a great fit if he's there at 52 I would personally run the card up and and turn that thing in but of course we have a long way to go in the process probably won't be there I'm sure things change a lot from now till then as well so as it stands right now, this is my, my this is my guy in the draft class, number seventy-seven, Sean Tucker out of Syracuse. I feel similar to him about is the what I said about Zach Charbonnet. Not sure the combine numbers will explode, but he has a chance to check all the physical boxes because he'll probably weigh in at two hundred and ten pounds. He also has great breakaway speed, so could he run a 4-4? If he does that, he's a day-two pick all day. When he got into space last year on that fast track at Syracuse, he was gone. Uh, He's so built in the lower half that it's hard to imagine anything but really good jumping metrics. And look, running backs are some of the world's most impressive specimens. I expect all of these top guys to test well, and that includes Tank Bigsby, uh, just an absolute specimen out of Auburn, number 80 on the pro football focus list. Now, for on-field drills, this typically doesn't translate as well in terms of the body type that he is. But the combine doesn't measure the patience and vision, which is where I think Tank really pairs his physical prowess effectively. This guy's going to be a great short yardage back at the next level. I'll be curious to see his broad and vertical numbers. And number 100, Devin A. Chain from Texas A&M, He's going to need some good times because unlike Bigsby and Tucker, he's 185, but that shouldn't be a problem. His tape is chock full of huge runs where he outraces the defense. He made some big plays in the passing game last year. I can think back to the Arkansas victory in September where he had some big time plays in that game. That's where I'll be keeping a close eye on this guy, how he performs in all the time metrics, but also the on-field receiving drills a great class of running backs, guys. We'll see what the Dolphins do in free agency, but there's some options here to go this way. I also like Ty Ty J Spears out of Tulane. He's not top 100, but another guy that I think is going to work out very well in Indianapolis. Speaking of receiving skills, how about a position that majors in that area? Well, I guess double majors, The top 100 tight ends, according to Pro Football Focus, starts with number 17, Michael Mayer from Notre Dame. He'll be a first-round pick. Some of the best college tight end tape we've seen in some time, Uh, Kyle Pitts notwithstanding, because I'm talking about all three phases, pass routes, pass pro, run block, all that stuff. When I plug on his tape, it's not some flash of athletic ability that really jumps off the tape. It's more consistent pad level, routes, leverage. It's just kind of a subtle way to to win. He kind of reminds me of Jason Witten in that way. Everything that coincides with production, with a productive player, Mayer seems to excel at that. He'll probably go in the first round, even if the testing isn't as impressive as some of his contemporaries. But man, what a player. Best tape in this class. And speaking of guys that will blow up the combine, Luke Musgrave, number 31 overall here out of Oregon State, a player I am incredibly excited about. And I think he'll blow the doors off of Indy. He was a state champion long jumper and triple jumper in high school. Also excelled in lacrosse and alpine skiing, like... Just the ultimate freak athlete. And he packages all of that in at six foot six, 250 pounds. Uh, Bruce Feldman wrote his freaks list. He was number 27, was Luke Musgrave on that this year. Uh, 10, 10, one and three quarters broad jump, 4'5", 140 at that, at that size, 4.21 agility score, uh, 36 and a half inch vertical jump. This guy is going to be, I think, the star of Indy. Number 36, Dalton Kincaid from Utah. Been watching this guy dominate down the seams in the Pac-12 for years. He runs routes like a wide receiver and high points the football as well as anybody. And when you watch his tape, there's a clear translation for a workout beast. I think his change of direction, the three-cone drill, uh, the vert and broad jumps he uses to get on top of safeties and linebackers will will show itself in the workouts this year. He's a big play tight end that made that happen with athletic ability and fluidity in his game. So I think all of his testing metrics, his side-to-side lateral agility, and then if you look at his run-after-catch too, it's just he's just a pure athlete and potentially another first-round draft pick here at this position. Another player I disagree on their ranking, number 52, Darnell Washington from Georgia. Both he and Jameer Gibbs are in the 50s, which, psh, great, I would love to get one of those guys there, but I think both guys are first-round picks personally. He might be my favorite player in the entire class because he just makes no sense. He's six seven. he's 280 pounds. He runs like a wide receiver. It makes no sense. There are clips of him on tape just using like a basic forearm shiver to wipe out a defensive back on a second level block. Like... Personally, again, I think 52 is way too low. And I think that will change after he works out. When he runs and jumps the times and distances that he will at that size, I think he'll climb up a lot of boards. Watch for him in Indy as a guy that could be the biggest mover. He is an absolute freak who I don't think he was had his skill set totally Amplified at Georgia. I think if you go to the tape and watch it, you'll see it that way because of his inline blocking work. But I think there's even more meat on the bone, especially when it comes to the red zone for this absolute freak of nature. And the number 74, Sam Laporta out of Iowa. I don't think he'll work out that great. His tape doesn't scream 4-4. He's just kind of like Michael Mayer in the sense that he just understands leverage and pad level and routes and timing and pacing and his release package, all that stuff. Also an absolute monster With the football in his hands, but I don't think he'll test that well. He could be another day two option there. So I think a lot of guys in this group probably require the 52nd pick at both these positions. I'm not really one for mock drafts this time of year, but both Washington and Gibbs are in that range, you know, per the pro football focus big board. Either of them would give the offense a huge shot in the arm. Uh, Bijan and Musgrave could be long gone. Maybe they're not. Either way, Both of these position groups are deep and loaded at the top. Sometimes that can push the entire class down the board a little bit. Again, this is all for previewing Indianapolis, but I do think the combination of the running back tight end position could produce a name at 52 that would get people really excited. And I think you kind of have to play into that with free agency. We'll see what happens with Raheem and Jeff Wilson and Savon and Miles, the entire room's free agents. But I kind of like how this stacks up with these two position groups because you can make your you know, attempts at your moves in free agency and then circle back and say, well, we didn't get this. The draft can be a good resource to go find that. But again, draft good players. Don't draft based on need. Just take the best players, man. Okay, let's go ahead and finish up here with a couple of mailbag questions because you guys put a couple more good ones out here I wanted to answer. First from Gabe Genovese. Gabe, hope you're well, man. It's been a minute. Uh, he's at Gabe Geno 13 He asks, in a unique way, the addition of Fangio will help Tua from the standpoint that he'll get to practice against a style of defense that he hasn't been sharp against in the past. Would you agree? Y- yeah, I do. Not in the sense that this defense has always kind of tripped up Tua. I think some of his worst tapes have been against, you know, Fangio in 2020, last year against the Chargers. I don't think you can understate the value of having a great coaching staff with years of experience and accomplishments for exactly this reason. And per a report from ESPN's Adam Schefter, the Dolphins will be bringing over Ronaldo Hill. Uh, by the way, longtime fan in me is over the moon with that hire. He was an integral part of the 2008 AFC East Championship. But that's something you get from the staff. And each time I'd ask either Frank Smith or Daryl Bevel about or you know, whoever about working together, that's something they would all say. They collaborate around everything in building this Miami Dolphins offense and same thing on the defense. They, that would absolutely carry over from the other side of the football, I would think. So when Ronaldo Hill or Vic Fangio comes in and says, here's what we did in that game, or I should say just Hill, here are the vulnerabilities, here's how we don't want you to attack us, and then Tua can take what we talked about previously with that tireless work ethic and just go and another aspect of his game. That's what the offseason's for, working on what you're good at for sure, but also picking up a few things that you've highlighted for improvement and drilling those until they come out of that, you know, quote-unquote weakness category. I think it works on the best staffs both ways. Here's how we attack you and then come up with answers based upon that approach. Great question, Gabe. I think it has a lot of validity to that. At Kevin M 4 he has a fun one. What's up, Kev? Uh, look forward to seeing you in Indy. He asked me, Give me football positions for Pinkman, Heisenberg, Saul, Mike, and Fring. Oh, that's great. Uh, where are they lining up? Um, let's see. Pinkman is my emotional captain of the defense. I'm thinking my safety. Like, he wears his heart on his sleeve. So I'm picturing Buddha Baker at his emotional hard knock speech this year. So he's my free safety Heisenberg's the quarterback because he thinks of everything. He knows everybody's job. He knows where you need to line up. He can correct when you're wrong on a play. He knows your rules. He can fix the errors of everyone based upon his mental prowess. I've got Saul Goodman as my offensive guard because he does the dirty work. Actually, let's call him the fullback. He does all the stuff that's so critical but gets the least amount of appreciation. Uh, Gustavo Fring is my middle linebacker, the traffic cop of the defense. He coordinates every single move because he built the largest distribution system that the drug trade had ever seen in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. He can do the same here on the defense and get things lined up. And then you also asked about Mike. Mike is, uh, I'm going to make him, fuck, uh, I want to say middle linebacker, but let's call Sam linebacker. I just He's got a neck roll. He's got a busted-up nose. He's essentially John Favreau in the replacements. I'm not sure what he's going to do, but he's going to be tough. He's going to make a lot of tackles for me on defense. Fun exercise, Kev. I appreciate that. Uh, uh, one more here from at Sean underscore 305. Has Tua ever had an offensive coordinator for two years in a row? If so, what was improvement like in that second year? Uh, well he played in technically the same offense at Alabama. In fact, you know, I had Coach Saban on the podcast a couple years ago and he talked about keeping that core offense at Alabama together, regardless of the play caller, changing every year. So it was the same system, different play caller. But yes, this is his first year with the same play caller and back-to-back year since high school. And you look at his college progression. Passer rating by year, 175, 199, 207. His yards per attempt went from 8.3 to 11.2 to 11.3. His completion percentage went from 63.6 to 69 to 71.4. And we've seen similar progression in the NFL as well. Uh, Not that it pertains to the idea of continuity with the play caller, offensive coordinator, but I think it does work both ways. So there you go. Good questions. Good combine talk. We'll talk more combine on the podcast tomorrow and I think Monday as well. We'll see about that. Um, but good stuff here for y'all. I hope you guys enjoyed this longer edition of the drive time podcast back with you guys on Friday. And then again, next week is combine week. We'll also have Alec Ingold on the podcast. I'm not sure when that drops, but looking forward to getting that to you guys as well. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with Seth and Juice. Check out the international podcast here on the network. Go to the YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today. Plenty of other content as well. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline and Cameron, Daddy coming home.